Zig coming in on the top 10 of the show. We have Joe Cannon, singer-songwriter of the band The Resurrectionist, who have a new album out now called Now That We Are All Ghost. It's available now on all streaming platforms. They also did a really cool um, film adaptation of the release where every song has a video made by a few different filmmakers, and then they had a, a film fest release to accompany the, the album release as well. And that's all available now on the YouTube channel. We are going to listen to a tune before we get into this conversation. The tune is called Classic Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue. The album is Now That We Are All Ghost. The band is The Resurrectionist. Here we go. Dictionary of the vulgar tongue fill open and fill our lungs with the dust of affidavit. Classic Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue. Now That We Are All Ghosts is the album. Resurrectionist, available now on all streaming platforms. Um, there's some Watt-ism in that, yeah? Uh, very cool. I enjoyed this talk with Joe. We got into the kind of specific details of guitar picking and banjo playing and philosophical thinkers. And um, it was a good chat. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I'm excited to share it. 
Before uh, before that, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, it really helps me talk to the cool guests and share their insights with you. So without further ado, here's my chat with Joe. Well, to jump into it, man, you got like so many bands. Like to trace, like <laughs> you're you're oh, like, band or you tried you tried to do the history. I huh? tried to do the history. <laughs> And, uh, it's all yeah, it goes place. back to the early 90s. Um, I think I, I, I did a count. Uh, I mean, including sort of like, you know, things that hit a stage once and like did a pickup show or something. I think I I think I was I think I was up to like 26 or 27 bands at some point. But, you know, it's over yeah. the course of over the course of 30 years, um, you know, so it's that's less than a band a year. Come on. <laughs> but, you know, it's like <laughs> when you get those like projects that you're trying to like. It's so hard to get an original thing going with a committed like group. No, I, I mean, and so o- over the course of time, I've probably had, I've probably been in, I don't know, maybe like eight or nine projects that you know lasted longer than a couple of months and and released something that kind of a thing. Gotcha. Either either way, it was like I don't know where to go back. But the one I went back to is a uh, work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so was work. Work was one of the longer projects than you. Yes, and uh, work is a good one to go back to because there's a common member. The bassist in Resurrectionist, the bassist in Resurrectionist was also the bassist in Work. So uh, Work was this trio, um, and we, yeah, we were together probably about six years, and um, it was one of those things where we were hitting a nice little stride. Had just put out a record we were proud of, and then the drummer announces that he's moving to Austin, Texas. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, so, so those records live in my attic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, but, um, so I continue trying to play with Jeff, our bassist and, um, we tried on a couple of different kinds of projects, like even one where he and I would both play guitar and we'd find somebody else to play bass. Um, but, uh, and we eventually settled on what became Resurrectionists, um, which itself has had two significantly different lineups. Um, right. We well, are yeah. our original lineup with the pedal steel player um, and a much more sort of chamber country kind of sound. Um, and then when the pedal steel player moved, as these people keep doing, um, <laughs> yeah, he moved upstate New York. Um, and, uh, he was just such a unique character, you know, uh, like, like a very good pedal steel player who was into like weirdo rock music, as opposed to, you know, there's not very many pedal steel players in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And the ones that we do have pretty much just want to play like traditional sounds. Right. Well, it's like, it's interesting. Have you ever messed with one? No, not, not more than, not more than pop pop pucks on around with it a little bit they confuse me they they're so confusing because i play a lot of lab steel and like Mm -hmm. uh i have a friend who has a pedal steel and i looked in to get one they're like a couple grand you know yeah no they're (laughs) yeah no and that's and that's to get one that's like serviceable right right (laughs) yeah i i've often said that if i could uh wave my hands and turn off time for a year i would learn pedal steel because i think i would it would take like it would take like me not doing anything else in my life, but learn pedal steel for like a year. And I'd probably be, you know, serviceable, but seeing as I can't do that, I just continue with my guitar and banjo, which is, I mean, banjo, like if, if you put them together, you almost get like a pedal steel effect because it's like a little bit, you got the open tune on the banjo and then like mm-hmm. but with pedal steel, it's like laid out. And like the, a lot of them are that like a uh, open, uh, what does he call it? A, uh, c c6 tuning which is that yeah there's this country sound you know right right there's a c6 tuning and then there's like an e tuning like the pedal steels that like there's two kinds of pedal steels one has like one set of strings and frets and one will actually have two yeah yeah and the ones that have two are because those are the two tunings Gavin demonstrated this to us a few times and and like he'd play a little line on the one and play a little line on the other and it would be like, you know, and it was like, oh, it's that kind of country song and oh, it's that kind of country song. It's like the C6 has got this like somewhat little bit more like chordy and mournful kind of tone to it, whereas the E1 is like more 
the you know like the lickety split sound of like you know oh pedal steel shredding yeah that kind of thing yeah, yeah um that's cool man you got the you got but the, i mean and the thing with pedal steels for me is the is the bending like yeah. the, those like that's that's the that's the sound that you just cannot replicate with anything else that's true that's very true i mean that's like they've got those telecasters with the little like b bender yeah. apparatus yeah, yeah, yeah. which can give you a little bit of it but it's there's just nothing like a pedal steel there's nothing, you know, you'd, you'd, and so we didn't try to replace it with something that would be a replacement for it. We, we like disassembled and reassembled all the songs with a different, with a different player because when Gavin left, um, I started talking to my friend, John, who is, I, I, I refer to him as our, our unofficial music historian. Um, he's played in a bunch of different bands and has a very sort of unusual ear. And so I just kind of gave him the songs and I was like, look, I don't know what to do with these. What do you think? And he came back with some really interesting ideas. Um, like a heavily affected, almost noise rock 12 string. Um, and then like various keyboard sounds and we settled on a Mellotron sound. So it's, yeah. And, and it's, it's very, very, very different than having the pedal steel on there it's it's a uh you know it's a bit more of a rock band setup um and the, i mean and the one thing i love the pedal steel but the one thing about the pedal steel is that it's this novelty and so it kind of got i kind of got the feeling that like everything was every song was sort of about the fact that there's a pedal steel on the song and so now now i kind of i i've, I've actually grown to like what we do now a lot more um in part because what John brings into it is so versatile. He can be, he can bring like, he can bring really aggressive noise or um, counter melodies or really atmospheric chordal ideas. And it's very cool. And so it's like, he can, uh, and, and my joke is that like the other three members of the band were like here, like dickering about trying to figure out how to arrange a song. And then he's off in his corner doing science and then eventually he'll like show up, you know, he'll like, we'll finish something up and then he'll like, well, what do you think about this? And it'll be like something completely unexpected that we're like, well, yeah, there we go. Song's finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because that kind of fills all those voids that a pedal steel is kind of limited, but can do like the pedal right. steel has that atmospheric melodic approach, but it has that right. with kind of everything. And like, yes. uh, it's it, and like I agree with what you're saying. Most of those guys, when you get into that, the the tradition is to hit like that country standard. So to find someone right. who's willing to like utilize it as a plane from like the kind of creative punk rock ethos space, right? You know, it's a it's it's tough. But I think with uh, how you have it set up now with the you know the twelve string, because my band mm -hmm. I put I put a twelve string through an amp a lot as well. <laughs> so I gotcha. get it. Like, uh, but you get like a different type of overtone, you get a different type of fullness mm -hmm. to uh, right to right. Uh, that space, and it has that melodic approach, and it kind of right. fits in with the banjo a little bit. It has that like kind of like yeah. a country, but also like the the what you described the weird rockness to it. Right. Well, the thing with with John, the other sort of decision that he made early on is he's like, I'm going to play a twelve string, but I'm not going to play it like a twelve string. You know, so it's like you're never going to hear like you're never going to hear like the bird style jangly yeah. chords happening. He's just not going to do that. He's going to play a 12 string, but it's going to it's going to, you know, you know, sound like the weird sounds on a wire record or, um, you know, or he'll play or he'll play solos with. It. He was he was he, he was remarking with pride uh, a, a couple nights ago to me. He was like, yeah, I heard somebody saying that you just can't play like single note lines with bends on a 12 string and so yeah i did that <laughs> <laughs> so it was like there's this one song where he actually is playing like a legit solo in the back it's like this counter melody with bends and he was like i did that because people told me i couldn't <laughs> that's that's the that's the badassery that's a punk yeah. rockness to it that's cool so it, it's interesting too because like um like s structure wise for you guys like the songs are kind of like they take like all a completely different structure in a way and like i uh um, yes i saw i don't know if it was an article or something but it was you guys referred to or were referring to perubu 
Is that kind of uh, like we've got we've gotten the comparison a couple of times. I'm a big Peruibu fan. Very cool. Um, uh, John, I know is. I don't know if Jeff and Josh are really aware of them beyond like just name recognition. I don't know if they've listened to them a whole lot, but um, yeah, they're in the background there. They're one of those bands where it's like it's never front of it's never like on the front burner when I'm working on something, but anytime I get compared to it, I get a little flutter in my chest, you know. I can definitely it definitely rings through with like the structure of like how these tunes take. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things that Periyubu does is like they're 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 playing a traditional well traditional is a hard you know <laughs> rock and roll is yeah. rock music is old enough that it has traditions now yeah. you know um you know so they're playing a sort of traditional style of music but then they're like screwing it up yeah you know like intentionally screwing it up and we do a lot of stuff like that we're very impatient it's like if we're like guys we've been playing this part for like eight seconds now that's a really long time you know it's like <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, and so it's like, it's, it's, we have, we'll have parts of songs that we call the chorus, but it's like a decision to play it twice in the song. I'm like, it is the chorus and you usually play those more than once. And the rest of the band's like, Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> That's cool though. Like when I, um, uh, David Thomas from Paribu has got this quote about how Paribu is like, and he picks up a coffee cup. He's like, this is music and we're analyzing any points from the bottom. You know, he's like, this is where we right. look at it. And uh, yeah. I, I talked with him uh, like about a year ago. And, oh, uh, wonderful. He like, uh, he has like a, a synesthetic, uh, uh, synesthesia with oh. uh, like geometric shapes. That's how he hears oh. music is in shapes, which is really interesting. Oh. So that, whole, that is like, interesting structure thing, like in how you guys like, uh, how you guys utilize it for your, uh, uh, for this record and the last record, like. It, it's very reminiscent to that, like how he structures shapes in his mind musically. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, cause we, we, I mean, it's weird to say, but in certain respects, a lot of what we do is almost through composed where it's like, there'll be recurring elements, but it's really like the, the arrangement process can be really meticulous and kind of difficult sometimes. And we will hassle the song for months. Um, and, you know, and a lot of it is because instead of like, oh, here's the verse, here's the chorus, here's the bridge, um, it's a lot more of like, here are these three or four musical ideas that I think all go together. And maybe they do. <laughs> and we have to figure out how to <laughs> knit them together in a way that makes some sense. So when they're like a musical idea like that, is it a progression? Is it a riff? Is it a melody? Is it like a lyric? Um, it's, it's, it's usually not a lyric. Um, because like, uh, the, like a lyric alone isn't going to drive a song because I need, there needs to be like a musical, I like a harmonic or melodic or rhythmic idea. Right. Um, I agree with that. Um, I'm usually writing. So I'm typically I'm the one that will bring like a half formed idea in to practice. And usually when I do that, there is a, a vocal line in, you know, so generally speaking, I'm not going to bring something in unless I have like two parts and some idea of how those parts go together or more, you know, so it's like two parts. And then there's usually some kind of vocal idea that struck me. You know, and I'm like, okay, this is cool enough that I think I can bring it in and we can start working on it. And then, and um, then the puzzle. And the musical ideas are usually like, usually like a, a like a, a chord progression or a like a like a like a melodic harmonic line. I mean, I I I I play finger style, and so a lot of times I will be playing around with that, and then I'll develop something that will then sort of like fall out into like one like more than one instrument's parts and so it's like a lot of times it's like adapting things like that and sometimes like the guitar line that i bring in i'll just like give over to jeff and that'll become the bass line um and then i'll play something different over it so it's like this kind of these kinds of things are you know there's a, a a variety of different ways that it goes i mean and now that we know each other better and we've played together for you know three or four years now um i mean and i've played with jeff for like you know 10 or 12 years 
it's um we're 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 doing a bit more kind of ground up just somebody stuff starts playing something in practice and we develop it from there we've got a few songs that are like that not on the one not on the record that we released but in like the the group of songs that we're working on that we haven't recorded yet very cool then like it, it makes sense like uh when you're like kind of especially coming from a finger picking type of like uh style playing do you play guitar like that too or is that banjo i uh, both. Okay. And yeah, like, I, I I developed a weird kind of finger picking style. I had a solo project um, back when I was living in Chicago called The Intelligibles, um, and it was sort of a showcase for these tweaked finger style techniques that I developed. Like it, it's like I don't do any of this stuff right. <laughs> you know, I do I, I I make things sound the way I want them to sound. Um, you know, like if I, with banjo is also an example. It's like, if I play the banjo in front of somebody who's like traditionally trained on banjo, it's like the pain in their face is palpable. <laughs> it's like, show, show, show me where the bad man hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> Was it, well, it, you know, the, it, it's like a, it's like a Victor Wooten's got this bit, you know, it's a, a theory is not fact. You know, it's a theory. Right. And like, I, I feel like techniques, the same thing. It should serve the purpose of what you're trying to express. And right. it, and if you develop a new technique for that, that becomes that new approach. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. Um, and like banjo itself, like it, that, like, stru like the scrugs or the uh, claw hammer technique right. is very cool. And, mm -hmm. but also very like, also it fits in like claw hammer is almost a double thumbing if we look at victor wooten you know it's like it's yeah. very like uh it can be one thing or the next and how you utilize that is that's that's right that's the essence of of music is whoever's playing it in whatever way they, they do you know and like right but that, that's i think that's i think it, it's almost i find like when i dabble with a guitar or a banjo or something with open tuning it's kind of like this refresh like a plunge into the creative pit because right everything else is so structured and formulated like like as far as guitar right if you're playing guitar mm -hmm. there's guitar expectations to that notify that you know guitar you know what i mean yes like, yes you did the pentatonic bit there nice choice my friend carry on you right know? right 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 definitely so, definitely yeah and so and so the way i sometimes think about this is that like um there is a traditional repertoire and a traditional set of performance expectations for things like the banjo and for things like fingerstyle guitar. And when I go into it, I'm always acknowledging that if you ask me to sit down and do it right in a traditional way, I would be unable to. But if you like sit me down in like, you know, like a rock band setting or a blues setting or something like that with a guitar, I'd, I'd be perfectly fine playing something that like was, you know, normal. Right, right, right. Well, it takes it's like I can play the guitar normal in a rock context. I can't play normal in a ba with banjo or or fingerstyle guitar. I play my tweaked, weird way of doing it, and that's what I do. Yeah, well, which makes it right. So there's no wrong. <laughs> that's awesome. exactly exactly very cool. Um, one thing I um, so you you also play in a project called Delicious Monster. I do, I and do. Your drummer was from a band called. Uh, delicious and nutritious do you guys does he play with you in delicious monster or is that just no like a no tasty no crossover? no that's just the that's just the that's just a um uh that that's a that's a coincidence in naming no josh does not play in delicious monsters uh our drummer's name is jim okay okay so like yep. uh does a delicious monster are you carrying over that kind of finger picking that kind of no do no Delicious. Well, I mean, there's a lot of freeness. Delicious Monsters is um, it's it's a it's kind of like a wiry post punk band. Um, I am I am not writing the lyrics and I am not the vocalist. Our vocalist uh, is is uh, named Zelda, and um, yeah, and she's amazing. Um, so th and that band is very much a um we come into practice, we start playing stuff and one of us likes something and is like, Hey, keep playing that. And then we build the songs up like that. The one odd thing in delicious monsters compositionally, which is the first time I've ever done this is the, the music, the, the songs are instrumentally complete before Zelda even starts working with them. So it's really interesting um, to see, to see her, 
craft lyrics and vocal lines around something that's instrumentally complete as opposed to like everything else I do where I'm the vocalist I'm writing the song and and like the repetition involved in writing the song and arranging it and stuff like that I'm at the same time working on the lyric idea and adding adding to it little by little as opposed to delicious monsters where it's like the band works up a song and then hands it over to Zelda and she puts it and she, and she crafts a vocal line for it. Yeah, that is like, does, does she play anything else or she's, she's currently just a singer. There's some, there's some talk of a, she has, she, she owns a theremin and there's been some talk of bringing a theremin in, but um, that that's down the road. I just got one of those for uh, my girlfriend got me one for Christmas, which is probably the worst idea for everyone else around me. But oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's like it's a it's got like a cool like a I got one that you can set it you can set the sensitivity. Uh, oh. To, to like it ba- basically it pitch corrects it. It's like using pitch correction, oh. so it cancels okay. out, and when you wave your hand, it just goes to the note that you're closest to via the scale. Um, oh, so you're going to be like the T-Pain of theremin players. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be the Dr. Mad Vibes that I want to be. I'm going to be the uh, the uh, PhD uh, plugins. <laughs> but uh, that's awesome. It's a really cool, like, uh, Moog theremin. It's probably the... If, oh, neat. It's a, you can set the scale, too, so you can really get, hmm. like get past the kind of like the the difficulty of the theremin which is like everything and really start being creative with it um it's still hard though because you gotta like hold the note i haven't i haven't used it on a gig yet. yeah no i i've i've played around with them and they're it's easy to make them like do wib- wibbly wobbly stuff yeah, but it's really yeah. hard to make them do anything consistent right 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 like uh or just like even sing a melody where you skip a note you're like oh Right, right. (laughs) um, That's cool. So um, the kind of like did a – well, I guess going back to the intelligibles, was that before, after, or during the time of the early risers where like you were playing banjo for the first time or first – It was – intelligibles was earlier than that. Intelligibles was like – intelligibles was like 98 to 2000. It's basically like I was – I was, I had moved to Chicago and I was trying to start finding people to play with. Um, and you know, and, and it, it, it can be challenging to, you know, break into a, a, a new city scene right. and actually find people to play with. So while I was working on that, I started working up this set of songs and playing it by myself. And, um, the solo, the solo stuff kind of went by the wayside once I was actively playing with people. And what, did that look like Mike Nights? Like, what did that kind of hunt look like? Going to Mike Nights, finding other shows, hanging? Like, uh, I didn't really ever do any open Mike Nights. Um, I it was more, uh, I, I would I would pitch myself to shows. I, I got a handful of pretty good ones. I opened for Songs Ohio once. Uh, yeah. Um, that. Uh, but um, yeah. No, I, I I was mostly like. Whole lot, you know, this was like the late '90s, so it was a whole lot of like cold calling, you know, cold calling the empty bottle and seeing if they had an opening slot they needed somebody to fill, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a totally different approach. Now, now you cold message, and you say right, exactly. it never gets yeah. read. <laughs> like at least a call right, right. to you, someone's like, "I'll call back." <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah. that's cool. That's cool. I guess that's the and, only way to do it is to jump in. Sorry, I didn't mean right. to No, no, not at all. And then, and so then, um, um, after Intelligibles, I played for, I was sort of playing in two bands at once for a while. One was called Check Engine. One was called The Afflictions. Um, Check Engine was kind of like a post, post-punk math rock kind of thing. And The Afflictions was a garage band. And then, um, I played with, and, and then Early Risers, strangely enough, kind of combined members of both of those bands after both of those bands had ended. Um, and I started playing banjo. Um, no, it was like the, the keys player from the garage punk band and the saxophone player and vocalist of Check Engine. And, um, and, then, um, <laughs> and then the rhythm section of an Iowa City hardcore band, because why not? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's interesting, like, all these bands you've been in, like, they all have, like, 
a, a wide variety of genre and approach. Like, yeah. do you, when, when joining these bands or when starting the play with these bands, is it kind of pronounced like we are going for this or is that just per circumstance? Um, it's, there's, there's occasionally, um, so like the afflictions was like, okay, we're a garage punk band. We're a weird garage punk band, but we're a garage punk band. You know, like we play shows with other garage punk bands and that's what we do. You know, that was the kind of, you know, that was one where that, that band had, you know, a very particular genre, um, that we weren't going to like, you know, waver from too much aside from like doing it in our own kind of goofy way. Um, but the other bands are more, I more frequently find myself finding a group of people I like playing with, working up a bunch of songs and then trying to figure out what the hell we just did. You know, cause it's like the worst question for me at, at ever is like, so what does your music sound like? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> Every time I get that, I think of that Joe Strummer tune where it's like, it's a, it's like a, it's kind of like a, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm talking the Mescaleros right. tune where it hits that line of just like, he names all these genres. Right, um, right, exactly, exactly. Th that's a, it's really interesting, like, kind of freeness, like, within all your projects. And I think it's, I think it's within you, like, uh, like, uh, as far as, like, that Perubu, like, Dada is right. that, like, freeness with, like, and that's a hard, like, kind of, like, thing to group a like to rope a group of people around because i feel like a lot of people are like we gotta know what we're doing what's you know what i mean <laughs> yeah well i mean because i i generally try to surround myself with people who are unusual musicians in their own right who i enjoy the way that they're unusual so that it like it you know it meshes where you know they're likely to play something that's going to perk up my ear and make me want to play something you know that so so then it becomes so then there's a kind of alchemy to it where, you know, this grouping of people brings these various things together that then get intertwined in this really interesting way. And, you know, that, that kind of a thing. I mean, and so for me, it's like, I, 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 I uh, quail at trying to put genre names on what I do, but there's this sort of commonality that runs through it because there's certain kinds of chord changes. There's certain kinds of like, intervals and tensions and things like that, that I like, there are certain kinds of melodies that I like, you know, so I've got these kind of paths that I follow. And so anything I do is going to be shaped in some way by just like, you know, these preferences I've developed over years, whether it's, you know, in a context that's like a country song or, you know, a noise rock thing or a garage punk band. It's like, there's going to be these, these kind of like ideas that I keep going back to. And with those kind of like melodic, was that like stuff you like kind of trying to figure out from the beginning of picking up guitar? Um, I've become more melodic as time's gone on. I've, I've gotten better at it. Uh, it used to be something that I was not as good at. Because like uh, you started like with piano, right? And your piano teacher was like, you should do guitar. So I guess <laughs> yeah. my, my lineage with that question is like, is that that kind of like inner like melodic interval like the stuff that really appealed to you is that something like right when you first started playing when the late whoever was teaching was like this is you go to rock and roll or you know what i mean like right you know it's interesting i don't think i got too much so i mean the one thing i got from piano was you know like uh, you know the white key the white keys and the black keys the way that you kind of like you know, the, the scales and the modes kind of just like lay out before you, you just kind of visualize them, you know, by looking down at a, at a, uh, you know, at a, a, a piano keyboard and say like, oh, well, this scale is going to have the, you know, the flat three and the flat seven. And like, you know, it's just kind of lo looking at it and seeing the intervals, um, which if, if you had only played guitar, you probably wouldn't have the same, you know, like sort of visual sense for it. Um, but apart from that, I don't think I brought, got too much from it in, in the sense of like, I don't go back to the piano and play it to write or anything like that. Um, I don't dislike it. It's just like, not, it's not like a, a thing for me. 
Yeah, it's almost well. It's kind of hard because it's so traditionally kind of set in a way that mm-hmm. if you try to approach it in a different fashion, you you often don't find it as like it, it, it's hard to make it sound as interesting or or maybe as close to like a, a string instrument that you hold closer to your body, and you can make like you can make melodic and like different like technique choices and be kind of right. celebrated in a di- you know what I mean like. When you look at even like the guitar kind of standard virtuoso, is you you see like Eddie Van Halen who's doing his own thing, but Jimi Hendrix is doing his. You know what I mean? Like, right. There's a really physical different way where a piano, it's like it's it's kind of melodic and harmonic choices which separate right. the individuality of the player. Right, right. You can, you can, you can hit the key or not hit the key. Right. You can hit the key harder or softer, but there's not quite as much. I mean, and the other thing with guitar is. You know, for most, you know, for for most notes, there's two or more places to play them. Oh yeah. yeah. And and the way and the way that the, the the way that the note sounds if it's played as an open ringing string or as the fifth fret of a of a of another string is going to have a different sound. And so there's a lot of sort of like tonal flexibility. Right, right. Which makes it completely like as far as like doing the standard thing and reading a nightmare, but when it becomes to like finding individuality, it makes it like night and day because like you're right. saying, like you're my C, I can play C on this guitar and you can play C on that guitar and it can be completely different expressions. Right. That's, right. that's cool. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of pick apart was like Thomas Mann in some of these like, lyrics. <laughs> like yeah, which is cool. <laughs> like, uh, get, get into, uh, your records is kind of like I wasn't aware of his writing. Um, so like the whole idea of ghost and becoming ghost and we are ghost. Is that mm-hmm. from that or is that it, to a certain degree? There is like, there's like, so for example, there's a scene in the magic mountain uh, where there's a, where they, where the, the, some of the characters conduct a seance and it's unclear whether something happened or whether, they all just kind of like a collective hallucination or something. And that's where, for example, the line in Blue Henry, the ghost appeared but was mute, is like kind of pulled from that scene. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, there's a, there, there's a, there's, um, but the, the ghost theme was also a little bit of like, I, I've been obsessed with the notion of ghosts for a very long time. Um, not necessarily in like the scary movie kind of way, but more in like the idea of the idea of uh, of ghosts and memory and passing between uh, you know passing between different realms kind of a thing. Um, and so after I, I kind of the so selecting the title of the record now that we are all ghosts is sort of um, the idea is we've all just collectively passed through one or more traumatic sequences of our country's history and now we're on the other side of it to a certain degree we might have more trauma to come depending on how certain things go but um this sort of like you know now we've passed through a thing now we're all ghosts Mm. that's cool like the idea of like reflection or nostalgia is a kind of the haunting of like your memory in a way but doesn't mean that's haunting in like a negative context, no, the, but that reflection back. No, that that's exactly. I mean, that the haunting in your memory. That's exactly the kind of kind of idea I'm thinking about. Oh, okay. okay. You know, that's the recurrence. Yeah. You know, a ghost is something that recurs. It's like it's the past thrust into the present. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. It is. It's like, and it's interesting, especially because of that. Well, I mean, the the uh, the other um, how was it? Death in Venice. Like that whole idea of that, like plague, uh, <laughs> and yeah. like going through all that, like, and then going through COVID at the same time. I know right. you mentioned that it wasn't uh, meant to be th- that. No, right. I was writing. I was writing oh, those okay. lyrics before. I was writing those lyrics in like 2019, oh. <laughs> like before any of this happened. That was yeah. the, that was sort of the funny thing about it. It's like I've got all these lyrics on this album that if you're just listening to it, you would assume that it was like, oh, it's a pan, you know, it's like songs about the pandemic. I'm yeah. like, mm, except I wrote them a year before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> but that, in a way, like, I guess it's perfect timing, but 
in a way, it kind of it, it, it. I think that's why it sets besides the difference that it's you and this your group. You know, it sets it apart from that type of like when I listen, I try to listen to ev- everything before reading about it or diving mm-hmm. into it just to get like a, a, a raw listen hearing of it. Right. And like it didn't strike me as a pandemic record. Like, well, that's good. It, it The ghost thing really like a uh, uh, concept really like drew my ear in as far as like that whole like kind of uh, memory haunting and like then kind of diving into some of the Thomas Mann like uh, um philosophical kind of context is put into it right. put a different view on it but like um so it didn't strike me as like as that and so i that could be because it's coming from this these other outside influences at a time before mm-hmm. that but going through that <laughs> like trying to button down these tunes and record them during the time was the rest of the group kind of hip to the references or were they like oh you're really going through it uh they don't really i mean um while we're working on the songs, they're not really paying attention to the lyrics. It's like, we've talked about the lyrics now that we've had it recorded and the record's been, you know, I mean, the record just came out, but we've had it for a while. And so like, and then also in the course of like mixing and listening to the record, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, these guys have now, have now all heard these lyrics over and over and over again because we've been you know working on it and so we've had some conversations about it then since then but um not not while the songs were being i guess did a was a so i mean these are kind of heavy hidden books and they're they're not short reads either no Um, they're not uh, and i i spent a long time i mean the the yeah magic mountain was like a project yeah that's a big one and like that's a, you're getting all these different characters and perspectives, though it's right. all around the same. But th- so was the the song uh, "Work" has a tune called "You Don't Have Tuberculosis." Is that kind <laughs> of a reference to Magic Mountain as well? No, no, it's not. It's not. Okay. I wrote that well before. I I wrote that well before I was reading uh, that that. <laughs> um, the the so uh, 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 some of the. A decent amount of the songs on the work records are me musing about uh, the end of, of I, I went to graduate school for philosophy nice. and I pursued an academic career for a while um, and everything kind of fell apart with the when the when the financial crisis happened in like 2008, 2009, because it just the job market became impossible. And so I work in a different industry now. Um, but a number of the songs in uh on the work records are sort of musings about graduate school. And I actually had a friend in graduate school who thought he had tuberculosis and it turned out that he didn't. Okay. So it's a very, so that's why, that's why, as it turns, that's why the name of that song is, as it turns out, he didn't actually have tuberculosis. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah. And then that, and then, and that song, I mean, the lyrics of that song are sort of about this weird sort of like, like, trial by combat mentality that permeates uh like certain kinds of graduate studies that yeah that's is is this like a anything graduate or anything kind of like academic like especially with philosophy because philosophy is such a i that was one class when i took uh because i went to school for music therapy and like uh okay. you have to take all the extra uh extra not um what do you call it uh prereqs and I got to do one in philosophy, and that like kind of turned my brain on for everything. And like I could, I I can. It's such an like a fun like, it, it, even though it's a hard. Uh, people would argue maybe it's not fun, um, but a fun kind of like like rabbit hole to mentally go down. Like um, I could have easily seen myself embracing that. Was it like? Did you go into like your under or graduate knowing like or, or into college? being in, uh, inspired by philosophy or was it like something you picked uh, up along the way? It, it was picked up along the way. I actually was there for psychology and kept finding myself wanting to take more and more philosophy classes. And by the time I had finished, I had, um, enough, I had enough, um, course courses to have a, a second major. Uh, cool. Cause and, it's, it's like, um, and then it was, and then it was like in the course of the few years after that and reading, uh, stuff that I was reading that I decided to try to go to graduate school for it. Um, yeah, that was, and that started me down a very, very strange road. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, uh, it's, 
it's it's one of those things like for me when I started to read philosophy, I'm like, oh, uh, psychology is philosophy, ideas of the mind. You know, I was able to find like right. an origin point, and like mm-hmm. we can all get into the big questions like. Maybe we all can't, but I, I, for me, I can get really into those like big questions and those philosophical like quandaries and like, right? It, like I find that really fascinating, and to see that mm-hmm. it branches off eventually to a yeah. science of some sort is so like yeah inspiring. But like yeah, I mean, and I mean, there's there's the graduate school like the PhD track in philosophy gets very narrow, um, like so that sort of expansive I want to think about the big questions kind of thing. <clears throat> kind of goes away almost and you end up you end up you know finding this little province that you can carve out and defend against all comers about some you know conceptual wrinkle in some existing uh set of set of uh uh, uh arguments that it it uh, it it can be it can be really narrow so if it, did it become more kind of like because a lot of philosophy is someone poses an idea, someone rebuttals an idea, right? Uh, did it become more kind of like a toxic, like almost like uh, intellectual sporting? Like there's a there's a bit of that. There's okay. a bit of that. It's very it becomes it becomes very professionalized, um, and it's a weird profession because it's like you get professionalized into this set of skills that is applicable in exactly one place in the universe and um then if you have to not work in that universe it it, it can be challenging so, yeah yeah no <laughs> no that's that makes total sense it yeah it's very it's a very um it's a very strange kind of world because usually if you um you know like if you have like a technical skill in the academic context then uh you can apply that outside of the academy and find work. And so like you're, you're, you're in demand. And so, you know, like other people are competing for you, not just the academy, um, but certain things like philosophy, there really is only one place that you can apply it. And that's in a university or college setting. Um, and so it makes it, a, it makes it difficult because, you know, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people get kind of institutionalized and assume that if they can't succeed in this one particular universe, they are a failure. Because they're, you know, because it's like there, there's no world outside of it, because right. the because you've developed, you've meticulously developed this this uh, set of aptitudes that only has one application. Which is it's interesting because that's like the kind of exact opposite of your musical journey in a way. Right. Which is, and these things were happening in parallel. There's a yeah. reason why it took 10 years to get finished my PhD. It's because uh-huh. I was like playing in three bands the entire time. Well, you finished <laughs> it. You got a PhD. That's pretty, you know. I did. I did finish it. I did finish it. But, um, but uh, you know. I didn't I didn't do all of the other things you had to do to make yourself like a top flight job candidate. That was the, that was the difficulty. Right. Well, <laughs> with that kind of like limitation in a way which is almost the opposite of like some of the like i guess basic uh the intro level philosopher people you kind of start to dig on and you really get into the opposite of mm-hmm. what it is you know um, right but either way i'm glad you found your way to what you're doing now and like the music kind of celebrated the the yin and yang energy of it to become what it is mm-hmm. yep um so do you like i guess like just out of can is it more i don't know how to put this is it is it more work or or kind of like negative emotion to dive into something like a philosophical read post doing all this phd work like is it like um i don't i don't i i very rarely read professional philosophy anymore um i much more i mean so so an example is like now i read things like the magic mountain like if i want to dive into something difficult I will dive into like a big stupid novel or something as opposed to uh, like commentary on Kant or whatever. Um, You know, it's just, I don't like once it was no longer my profession, I found myself a lot less interested in a lot of it. Still like the prime. So basically I still like all the primary sources. Yeah. The secondary sources. 
Well, that's like, yeah, that's that's where it starts to like that's where it starts to really branch off into like you know what I mean like you got a you get a recap of everything you heard before it starts to marvel itself you know what I mean like right right yeah exactly because a lot of it is a lot of it is yeah I mean a secondary source is a, a lot of it is this like um here's here's a review of all of the things people are saying about this right now and then like and then like two or three sentences of here's the thing I'm saying about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then here, and then here are all the possible objections I have to answer. And it's just like, you've, you've written, now you've written a 250 page long book to defend the three sentences you wanted to say. <laughs> right. Which is, I mean, I, 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 anyone who thinks through their idea that clearly good for you, but it's yeah. all going to be summed up. And then like the next, you know, the next, uh, the third edition or, you know, the third leg of, is yeah. the, the flaws within those cracks which right yeah. well i mean and a lot of people find and a lot of people find this you know so a lot of people find that sort of uh converse you know like conversation slash argument with your peers um is, is like invigorating right. um you know it's like a yeah, my the the <laughs> disagreement is our love language, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because like, you know, because intelligent disagreement is kind of exciting, like a you know, that kind of debate. Well, it is. It is. And then, like it 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 sparks the mind to think in different ways, but I think maybe right. the problem is when like one takes it so personally. You've just written a 400-page book about why why you believe this one like how you said this these three sentences and now you said one sentence, which puts that my whole book in jeopardy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, well, right, right. There's and there's there's a lot of that. Um, but it's not. I mean, it's jeopardy. I, I don't know. It's like yeah. one of those things where there's like there's the payoff of the conclusion, but then there's also the payoff of, you know, the conversation itself. Right, right, right. Which is uh, going back to Plato or Socrates. That's all it's ever been. You know, it's just right. combo, and like. Oh, that's okay. That's cool. That's cool. Cause like, I, I, I agree with, I, I have only found myself in like, I guess, first sources, you know, I, I think the only, like, right. I don't know if it would be second. Um, what's the, uh, history of Western civilized, uh, um, by Bernard Russell, the big one, um, right. Bertrand. Bertrand. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be, uh, th that would be more, that would be more of like a, I, that's an interesting one because I mean, it is, it is his own per personal take on it. Um, generally speaking, when I'm talking about secondary, I would be, it would be something like, you know, so the, the, the philosopher that I spent most of my time on was Kant, the, okay. the, the oh, German man. philosopher. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so like, you know, like, it, it, you know, so he wrote n numerous books on ethics yeah. and there's a lot of disagreement about what exactly you know, he means by various and sundry things like the concept of duty or the concept of a, of, of, of reason or something like that. Um, and so there'll be books where it's like, you know, like Kant on the moral law and like, then it'll be, you know, then there'll be like 50 books that have titles very similar to Kant on the moral law. And, um, you know, and like what it is, is like these, you know, people who are sort of like the the leading scholars right now on that and like them rehearsing their agreements and their disagreements and that sort of thing. And to the non-professional reader, it's utterly inscrutable. <sighs> well, it, it's like, well, it's so much because even what's what's Kant's big work on intelligence? Um um it's like 800 or uh, oh the critique of pure reason yeah 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 oh yeah. man like because I, I i dove into Kant a little bit and like and i was gonna read you know that and i'm like oh man this will be the next three years i think i'll put the, i'll come back to this one yeah i mean like, that's a that's a book that you need commentary to read yeah, yeah you're yeah. not gonna just dive into it i mean part of the problem with a lot of this stuff is you know he's in you know he's doing like you know uh, critique of pure reason is a book that like in like the the you know at, in its time like the 1780s um he's in conversation with a bunch of people that nobody reads anymore and so a lot of the things that are confusing about that work 
aside from the fact that Kant was a terrible writer, um, <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 one of the difficulties of a work like that is like, you got to know, you know, it's like somebody who's trained in this and who's read it a bunch and who's like, like dived into the era that he was writing in. You'll read something is like, oh, I know why he's writing that because he's arguing against so and so. You know, he's Christian Wolf said X, Y, and Z, and nobody in the universe reads Christian Wolf anymore except he was important in the 1780s, and so Kant had to have like the little thing in the book that's addressing, you know, the potential objection from this guy that nobody reads anymore. Right. You know, and then and then and then you like multiply that by a thousand. And it becomes an exceptionally difficult book to read. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's that's I think a lot of what makes any kind of philosophical read difficult is that, or like even old, it's like old comedy. I don't get why this is funny, because you know, because I don't know what uh, Lenny Bruce is referring to at this moment. You know what I mean? Like, right, 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 exactly. It was like uh, another one, like uh, Machiavelli reading The Prince. The first time I read that, I was like, I don't get some of these historical yeah, contexts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right, 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 right. My, I gotta go back to my reading of the Roman emperors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, but that, but, and, and that that itself is a fun, like, like it, it, when it becomes, it, at one point I can see where it just becomes burnout and you're just like, you're you're marveling it. You're, you know what I mean? There's parallel universes. The story never continues. But like, right. Or it does. Well, I mean, and if you're trying to do it professionally, there's always the anxiety yeah. of, yeah, yeah. am I smart enough? Am I, am I, and you know, is, 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 are people going to pay attention to this argument? Are people going to think this is an important take? Is this going to get me a job? <laughs> yeah. You layer all of that on top of it and it's, uh, it's spicy. Yeah. It's spicy <laughs> to say the least. Oh man. And like, and you know, there's there's kind of a parallel with music in that in that that sense that we're there's, there's like, except for, uh, is that the anxiety, I guess, if you really are yeah. trying to fit into a specific niche, I want to play this venue, but I don't know any right, you know, the, the folk standards. Are they gonna like my upside down folk? And the right, answer, exactly. But the beauty thing with music is, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, there is an right. outlet something somewhere, everywhere for everyone, and like uh, right. But okay, so that's I can see where the novelization of like, like it's no one trying to defend their statement. It's just here's the context of it, and like it's almost more like, in that in that sense, it's up to you. It's like the power of the metaphor becomes uh, right. on you if it if it's impactful or not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's beautiful. That's very cool, yeah. man. Like, uh, and I think it definitely comes through with. With this record, the last record, some of the work stuff I heard, like, and the I, I think as far as like an outlet for you doing all that, like, I can see how impactful this was. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. I pour I, I pour all my intellectual ferment into uh into into like writing writing fifty words for the lyrics of a song or something. It's it's very it's very interesting. And I guess that's the beauty of like the the song approach or the poetic approach is it's like less is more in a way. So it's really yeah to... you 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 have to really yeah it's like I'll I'll agonize over a word choice that nobody but me is going to care about. Right, but that that makes or breaks the musical phrase the uh, the intention right. of what's being said. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, selecting words, selecting words for like for like tonal sounds and internal rhymes and weird stuff like that. I, I just I get a little obsessy about it. Did you take did you dive into poetry at all while studying this? A little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there are poets that I like. I never I never studied poetry in the sense of like understanding the techniques and the and the and the forms. Yeah, I just like there are poets that I like. And I think about, you know, and so like, um, but I, my reading is more prose, but like prose that has a kind of poetic aspect to it where it's unusual prose, you know, the, where somebody is meticulous about it. What is it? That's, well, I mean, like coming from your background, it can only be like, who are some of the poets that you dig? Um, like Paul Salon, um, how else do I think about? Um, it's the only one that's jumping to mind right now. I don't read a lot of it now. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, when you're working way through some Thomas Mann, you don't have time. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, beautiful, man. Well, Joe, thank you so much for chatting with me and let me pick your brain a little bit. Um, Not a problem at all. This is fun. Yeah. I didn't realize I was going to talk for 20 minutes about philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. One, I guess one last thing I wanted to ask is uh, I read or heard somewhere um, your first concert was The Violent Femmes. Yes. And have you circled being in Milwaukee, playing this type of music, any of those guys? I, you know, I, I don't know any of them personally. Um, you know, they're like around. And um, I think one of them plays in a band called the 1913 now. Yeah, Victor, and I've seen them the play once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I know people who know them, but um, I'm not I, I'm not personally acquainted with them. OK, well, I just kind of kind of hitting that first and the other oh the other thing was that first tune on this record that uh that core that what we'll call the chorus line like mm -hmm. the repeating line it it strikes really like similar to me as like mike watts like first uh rock opera like there's these oh. certain like these building like um tensions and like musically and then there's like the whole like the water oh okay the okay choice there. well i'm a, i'm a i'm a huge mike watt fan yeah and, uh and well and i i was on i was on his radio show last yeah week, i heard it that's very, awesome. very exciting um yeah so um no i i've been i've been the, the, the like minutemen fire hose his post you know um, his post fire hose solo work it's all it's kind of like that's a big from line for me of of things that i listen to a lot that's awesome. That's yeah, yeah. When you go on watch show, he's kind of like, here we go. And like, <laughs> right. He goes yeah. super yeah. quick. And then it's like, yeah, right, we're back. <laughs> like, exactly. 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 And then he's like doing one liners and you're like, wait, what, 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 what? <laughs> right. 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 My band, my yeah. It's band like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, he, I was, I was, I was given some warning pre. It was like, he's going to ask you questions and you've got maybe two sentences <laughs> before he's off running in another direction. <laughs> he's got his own language. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you talk to him about certain things, like he's got his own words for things and you're like, wait, what? Like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Yeah. I was lucky enough. My band was lucky enough to be on it too. Like you know, we, me and my bass player are huge Watt fans. We grew up like admiring yeah. Watt and like, uh, so that's, that's so cool that you guys got to do that or you got to do that as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I was very excited. Awesome, man. So any, uh, any plans for this? Cause you have a, a video for every song. And I do. 23rd, you're having a film fest for it. Yes. Oh, that's, that's the other question. Was a, um, rest cure. Is that mm -hmm. also a reference to a uh, magic mountain? It is the rest okay. cure is when you, the, the lyrics aren't as much, but, um, the, the, um, because the lyrics are about this weird greeting of a, I believe it was in the public domain review. There was this article about, um, about death masks and, and um, Walt Whitman's death mask in particular. Yeah, yeah. There was like, there was some story that, that like, it, that, that some of his whiskers were preserved in the, in the desk death mask. Um, like, you know, cause it's like a plaster, put it over the face. Um, cause you know, it's like, it was pre, photography um and so that that like some musings on that and then the notion of the rest cure which is when the a, a, a tuberculosis patient patient would be like wrap wrap themselves up in a blanket and sit out on the veranda in the cold air um that's you know was that was supposed to cure something they call that they call that the rest cure yeah okay yeah the desk mask thing really stuck out too and that's like like, what a weird kind of interesting concept, this whole, like, the see someone's face when they're, you know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. I mean, and then what's up? Do you know the lineage on that? I don't know anything about it. It's just always been like kind of. Strange. Well, it was it was a it was a means of preserving the likeness before mm -hmm. they had photography. OK, OK. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was like a documentation of the, you know, it's like the last documentation of the person's life is the death mask after they die. Um, and so like, and then, and then like the rest of the lyrics of that song is just sort of like me thinking about wanting to ask Walt Whitman these questions about like, you know, now, now, now that we're in a new gilded age, like, what do we do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's very... 
very cool. Very cool. But anyway, so like all this, uh, and and like I guess the there's all these clocks in in these videos yes. too. Is that kind of referring to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so so the so the rest cures video, um, which was recently made public. Um, we've got some date. We've got some premieres coming up over the next few weeks, and so like as they premiere, I make them public on our our YouTube channel as well. Um, but the, the, that was the video that started me down onto this like having a video for every song on the record um, project, um, and it was a video that I had wanted to do for a while. I don't know where the idea came to me, but it was uh, like the band is walking through a forest, and we come upon a clearing, and there's a grandfather clock sitting in the clearing. And we notice with alarm that the clock is set to two minutes to midnight. And um, we run off, get our surgical gear, do surgery on the clock, and uh, we're successful. And it's now three minutes to midnight. <laughs> so that was the that was the idea of that. And so in order to pull that video off, I needed to acquire a clock. And so I just went to like thrift stores and antique stores, and I found this clock. Um, and then once I had it, the the fellow that did the rescuer video for us, a guy named Brian Tyson, um, he did two other videos for us, and the clock appears in both of those other videos. And then, sort of by by happenstance, uh, some of the other videos that were made for us kind of featured clock uh, ideas, not not the same clock, but uh, you know. And then that clock is actually the cover star of the album. Um, the uh you know that's yeah, it's yeah. the same clock in the videos and on the cover of the record okay <laughs> it's cool it's cool like sometimes you just, like when you visualize like the kind of sonics concept of something like how things right. like that like become like a cool little mementos and importances um yeah so okay so there's a song for everyone and there's a film fest that's gonna <laughs> or is yes. that just okay so what's... so so since since we had a video made for every song on the record i was like well we should have an event about this that isn't just the record release show. So we're going to do a record release show. It's a week from yesterday. So it's Friday the 14th is our record release show. And then the following Sunday, like a week later Sunday on the 23rd, we're having the first, the we're having the inaugural Resurrectionist Film Fest. Um, and what we're going to do is play all the videos and then play other work by the people who made the videos for oh, us. So there's nine songs yeah. on the record. Six different people made videos. Um, and um, so then I'm going to show the videos and then show other work by the people who made them for us. You got a theater for that? Or where are you doing like a... It's a Cactus, it's a cactus Club okay. in, uh, in Milwaukee, um, which is a longstanding uh, venue, small venue. And um, Kelsey, the owner, has been wanting to... Um, kind of expand out into into other kinds of events like film That's awesome. and um, other kinds of community events. Yeah, she she purchased. Uh, she was like a longtime employee who who purchased the bar from the old owner when he retired, um, and she's done some marvelous things with it. That's cool. That's cool. Like when you see someone who's like sees the potential and stuck with it and gets the right. chance to act upon it. Especially yeah. Like, no. Yeah, that's awesome. She, she was actually like, for example, she was instrumental in like convincing Milwaukee City Council to change certain ordinances so we can have more all ages shows. Like she does some real work. She's the she's the DIY queen. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Very cool. Awesome, man. Well, Joe, thank you so much for chatting with me, man. And um, uh, the. I enjoyed diving into the 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 zigzag pattern of your career that I was able to I was able to track and dive into yep. these records and appreciate the philosophical insights and uh, getting me into Thomas Mann. That was cool. Uh, Excellent. I'm glad. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.